You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way. It's the 6th of January, 2024, with me, Sam Ball, and I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen. So in that case, if I go through my list... So in terms of the stock that I've probably been closest to buying and not pulled the trigger on, for me, it would be British American Tobacco, especially okay. after the latest re-rating, the latest drop. So mm-hmm. I'll just load it up now, but I think we've always found the tobacco sector quite interesting just because it is, you know, it's a perfect business. <laughs> you can charge what you like and generally the, the customers pay it because they're addicted to the product. I know there's a lot of ethical concerns, but in terms of the business model, it's it's really hard to fault. But British American tobacco, we've always found the industry very interesting, which is why sort of every sort of probably 10 weeks on the show, there is a tobacco company <laughs> at least. But it's really, really interesting. And then also, I think we, we both read, I think it might have been this year, maybe the year before, but we both oh, read Going Down Tobacco Road, which yeah. again, it's, it's the history of the tobacco industry. And that's a really, really good book. I think it was two years ago, actually. But yeah, so that's probably the one where I'm closest to buying it. And I, I think possibly, you know, once we enter the new tax year, there's a decent chance I do buy it if it's still at similar valuations. But in terms of the share price, it's, I mean, it's, it's down, down 30% yeah. for the year. It's yeah. now valued at, it's at a P of nine. Yeah. And it's churning out, what's the dividend yield? It's about 10%, I think. Yeah, so I think that PE might be high, actually. Then It's a stock where, it, I know it's always going to have a tobacco rating, but if you kind of look at sort of when you get these phases in the economy where people go back to the safer stocks, the, the value, you do get some slight valuation increase. Like, you know, if you go back to the time of the snap election, it was trading at 36 quid a share. If you go back to kind of when we had all the inflation issues, it was it was trading at 36 quid a share. And it's dropped all the way down to 24, but you, you're getting you know, 10% dividend or whatever it is. Yes, it can go lower and it's in terminal decline, but I just think because it's got that SIN stock rating, if you don't mind the ethics of it, I I actually think it's a really, really good price and it's a business I I really do like. So that's probably the one I'm closest to buying. And if if I had more cash, I'd probably buy it now, but at the minute I just can't really without selling something. Mm. But in April, I probably will buy it. And then in terms of other stocks that are on the watch list that I don't have a position in at all yet, Baltic Classifieds, I really like that. But it's just, I mean, we talked about it for the fancy portfolio last week, but it's just too expensive. I, I would like to see it get cut in half, but I'm not expecting it to because it's such a quality business. But it's, it's trading at a PE of 35. And mm. It's a fantastic business, but I just, I can't really justify 35 times earnings for it. What else is on there? I do like Adidas, so that's quite cheap, but that's actually rallied a bit since we started covering it. So I think in the last year, it's, it's actually up a decent amount, although it has actually started dropping again recently. But yeah, I do like Adidas, but I've just never really taken enough of a proper look at it. What else? Money supermarket, I've, I've really, since I sold it a couple of years ago, the business has actually done very well. And I sold it because I wanted to buy something else. So it probably wasn't the best reason for a sale, mm. but that's a business that I like I possibly would buy back but the the main one is probably for me British American Tobacco and I'd like to get Baltic if I could get it at the right price possibly 
UK Dominoes as well. I do like that business, but it's it's been quite expensive recently. But that that's another one where I'd possibly pull the trigger on it. And there's other businesses where I do really like them. We've followed them for a while, but it's, it's just never happened. But for example, like Next, where it's just, you know, it's consistently a great performer. Mm. But Next is a business that it's just never happened. I've never, I've just for whatever reason, I've always had other stocks I wanted more or something else I wanted to top up on. But that's just such a good business. But then there's some of those you do question how long they can keep putting up these kind of results and have the easier gains already been had. In terms of stocks I already own that I'm topping up on, Airtel Africa is now quite a sizable position. So I don't know if I would top that up again. Games Workshop's done pretty well. So although I really like it, again, I'm quite happy with my position. Supreme, I probably would top up on again, although that's already quite a chunky position. But I, I think I probably would top it up again. Possibly right move as well. And then mm. on the US side, I'd probably continue topping up Etsy. I'd probably continue topping up PayPal. And I'd probably continue topping up Disney. And those are all stocks that I've mm. either bought or added to in the last year. So I, I think I've listed quite a lot there. But those are those are the ones where it's either new positions. So there's not there's not actually many new positions. It's mainly adding to existing stocks I already own that I'd be interested in, with the exception probably of British American. Yeah, yeah. And out of interest, with that huge dividend that British American is paying out, what would you do with it? I wouldn't reinvest it. I don't like the idea of reinvesting dividends into a business that's in terminal. But then from my guys, I use Hargreaves Lansdowne for most of my stocks, apart from two which are on Halifax. And I think with Hargreaves Lansdowne, I think when you reinvest the dividends, I think it's an all or nothing choice. So at the minute I am set to reinvest dividends, so I might just have to do that anyway. But if I, yes. could, do, if, if I could do it individually by stock, I would choose not to reinvest the British American just because I don't want to reinvest in a business that's in terminal decline. And as well, one of the reasons I'm buying it is because that dividend is so attractive. But I don't want the dividend to be churned back into the business and then the share price drops 20 30%. I basically lost you know what I had in the dividend you know whereas if yeah you know if, if you if you're getting 10% dividend a year and it drops 10% it's not nice but you've broken even but I, I I will probably just have to accept the fact that because I'm using I'm not going to change provider or set up a new one just to buy it in that and have it as the only stock so I don't want to pay the fees but I probably will end up reinvesting the dividend but if I could do it on a stock by stock basis it wouldn't be my choice yeah and that is I think a frustrating thing about Hargreaves Lansdowne um, that they don't offer that I know Halifax is exactly the same when it comes to that I think AJ Bell you can choose by stock which dividends are reinvested and which aren't and I think same with interactive investor so it's uh, yeah a feature I'd like to see on Hargreaves Lansdowne and Halifax. I think a lot of these we obviously we talked about Hargreaves Lansdowne as a stock recently, yeah. and where it's been commoditized as a business. If a couple of them are doing it, yeah, if you wait long enough, they're probably going to let you They're'll do probably, it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And um, now actually, you can uh, again not that I would bother doing this, but you can transfer part of ISAs you know around, so there is uh, even more competition for them. Yeah. So. What's been the best book then that you've read this year about investing? I mean, there have been a few, but I think right up there, it was going back to basics and it was rereading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kawasaki. That That is right up there. And I think that the basic messages in it, the basic life messages, both from sort of investing, self-development, they were all there. And I guess even just going back to, you know, the basics of, you know, cash flow, assets, liabilities, it, it did just help 
clear things, I think, in my mind and was, again, motivated after reading it. So it was just that very basic one that you should, you've probably, or a lot of people have probably read when they were 18, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay, I'm just going through mine. So it's quite difficult. I, I mean, I know you're the same, but I think once you've read sort of 10 or 15 investing books, you, it is marginal gains and there's always something mm. you can learn from everything, but you will obviously learn a lot more from your first investing book than your 30th, mm. even if the 30th is a better book. So I, I do find that quite difficult and I'm not, I don't tend to reread books that much. That's mm. partly because on Goodreads, you can do a reading challenge. <laughs> it doesn't let you do them twice. I get quite competitive with it. I am just a sucker for psychological mm. biases, but I'll just go through my list from last year because I've read a decent number, but I, I wouldn't say like any blow me away. So there's a Warren Buffett Speaks book where it was basically just like various sort of comments he had on different subjects. And that was good. I read an interesting biography on Charlie Munger, which I did enjoy, but I, I didn't learn loads from it, but it, it was a good book. I'm just looking through my Goodreads, and there's a lot of them where it's, you know, I've just given them sort of two or three stars. There's not, I'm struggling to find one where it's an invest. I, and I don't read loads, but I'm struggling. I read Jack, Mo, Jack Bogle's, sorry, John Bogle's book, Common Sense mm. on Mutual Funds last year. And it was a good book, but I just felt like I'd read it too late. Well, not yeah. too late, because I think it's always a good message, but there wasn't much in there I didn't already know. So I just found a lot of it quite repetitive. Oh, it's not quite investing, but I, I did give the, the big short five stars last year. Yeah. That, that was more of a, a story, really. The only four-star pure investing book that I read last year was The Art of Execution. Okay. And that was, here we go, I'll, just, uh, I'll read it out from Goodreads, actually. So it's over seven years, 45 of the world's top investors were given between 25 and 150 million to invest by fund manager Lee Freeman Shaw. His instructions were simple. There was only one rule. They could only invest in their 10 best ideas to make money. Most of the investors' great ideas actually lost money. Shockingly, a toss of the coin would have been better a better method than choosing whether or not to invest in a stock. Nevertheless, despite being wrong most of the time, many of these investors still ended up making a lot of money. Basically, how was this the case? The answer lay in the hidden habit of execution, which until now has just been guessed by the outside world. So what it does is it basically goes, it's not really talking about like how you buy or why, but it's explaining basically how you sell and why and why these guys were so so good at it. So I think I've talked about it on a couple of interviews. Or, mm. But it's like it, it categorizes the investors into different categories. So there's some where it's like, you know, if they buy a stock and it goes down, they might be a rabbit where they just sort of get like lost lost in the headlights or whatever and they just sort of hold on to it and then you've got others where they're assassins and you know as soon as a stock goes down and they've, they've lost conviction they just cut it and it goes much more into like the psychology of what separates the winners from the losers and just mm. knowing how to sell so i don't i don't know if it made me that much better or just gave me an awareness of um, yeah. how poor i was but i read that and then i didn't sell anything for the year except one stock to top else up so maybe it made some difference but then a lot of them actually the best investors they actually you know they'll they'll cut the losers fairly early yeah just because it's much easier to recover from a 15 or 20 percent gain than it is about than it is to recover from a 60 percent gain you know it's like with yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to double or triple our money just to get back to where we were yeah 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 you know, whereas if we you know after, after 15 20 percent we taken another look at it and said well actually the thesis has changed. I think that's one thing they talk about where it will go down, like say 20%. And a lot of them, they might take another look at it and they basically say, well, would I buy again at this price? And if the answer is no, you probably need to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, and it's stuff like that. But it, it was a good book, but I, I wouldn't say I was flushed with books that inspired me last year in investing. But maybe that's just, maybe I just need to reread some of the good ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
what do you think of the markets in general and going into 2024 if you were to get your crystal ball out or just the current states of markets and valuations? Difficult. I mean, obviously, we had a tricky year, but there does seem to be optimism. And I guess I probably have that too with inflation falling. How much growth is going to you know, be delivered? Who knows? But I think inflation falling is obviously very positive. I guess valuations are still fairly toppy, you know, when we're looking internationally, particularly in the US. I think they're much more sort of moderate in the UK. And I guess by international standards, you might say the UK is still, you know, on valuation, uh, on a valuation basis, very well, quite cheap. I feel more optimistic, though. And not that I'm pumping loads more money in, just kind of pound cost averaging as we go. But I think I'm just... There's, there's something about it. I think that it feels like 2024 is going to be a better year, I think. So is this, is this are we talking about the stock market then? You think stock market? Oh, sorry. Yeah, stock market. Stock market. So would, would that change how much money you're putting in cash now then? Probably, yes. Probably, yes. So I think I'm retaining what I'm happy with in cash at the moment. But going forward, if there's any excess cash... I would probably now be more inclined than I have been at most points in the last year to be investing it in stocks again. Okay. So, I mean, for me, my behavior doesn't really change. I'm not, I'm not that great <laughs> in <at laughs> cash. I generally do invest most of my spare funds every month, which is fine because I don't, I don't have anything sort of coming up in the next yeah. few years that I couldn't comfortably afford. But in terms of like my own thoughts, I, I think the UK, I know we've probably said this every year since we've done the podcast, but I think the UK market is still pretty cheap. There's some pretty good stocks to be had there. I think the US market, I think it's starting to recover a bit. And although it's quite toppy, I think a lot of that's just because of big tech. And if you strip that out, the rest of it's actually, it's actually quite a bit better. Or certainly when I look at my own portfolio, there's quite a few, you know, I, I don't own loads of US stocks. I've only got seven, but they're all quite decent sized positions. But most of them I'd be fairly happy adding to. If I if I look at the top three, which, you know, I talked about earlier, probably you know, Etsy, PayPal and Disney, I think are all at pretty cheap valuations, all for different reasons. But I do still feel like there's quite a lot of growth still to be had, especially if if inflation is easing up and interest rates follow. Mm, yeah on the back of that then if you had to make the same comments about the uk property market what would you think i know i'm putting you on the spot of it here and we aren't property investors in terms of the uk property market i think i'd probably see it as maybe and then this 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 is just a finger in the air but maybe between north and five percent I would hope, I mean, I know this isn't this isn't the question I asked you, but I'd hope to see it decline. And I'd, I still think there's a reasonable chance because I do feel like there's, although inflation might drop, there's usually a bit of a lag between inflation and interest rates. And I don't think they're going to drop interest rates too quickly in case you just start getting more inflation again. So I think there might be a bit of, and obviously the interest rate has a massive impact on the property market. But I think as well, we've still got a lot of people that although the interest rate might be coming down, it's still a lot higher than it was in say 2020, when a lot of people remortgaged on one or 2% interest rates. 
And if they have to remortgage in the next 12 months and they're remortgaging at 4 or 5%, I do wonder what impact that has on the property market. And I still think, although the interest rates maybe have peaked and maybe instead of sort of paying 6 or 7% or whatever you would have paid, you're now maybe paying 3 or 4 it's still enough that I think with the house prices as they are, a lot of the prices I don't think seem to have dropped loads. So I do wonder at what point any demand drop actually starts feeding through into the prices. Because I, I think although property prices have dropped for the year, they definitely haven't dropped as much as I would have expected them to. If I had all the information about what interest rates and inflation would do two years ago in advance, I think I would have expected a much bigger drop off in the property market than we've had as, as, than has happened. And although it has, it does look like there has been a bit of a drop, you might be talking sort of five five percent maybe when mm. you may be you know, if you had the perfect information, but you didn't know how the property prices would react, you maybe would have expected 20. Yeah, I suppose in real terms, if if you've had inflation, mm. you know, peaking at 11%, and I guess it, you know, it hasn't, definitely hasn't kept, you know, kept, kept pace. With yeah, that. so I guess, yeah, but so if it's dropped 5%, you've got 10% inflation, you could argue the real drop's 15. Yeah, <laughs> I know we don't like to think about that in day-to-day life, but, you know, that there are those, I suppose, those facts um, there. Difficult. I mean, I, I'm like you, Sam, as I don't own a property. It's I'd like to think that they would fall in the next year. And then maybe if I'm going to buy, I don't know, then it's, you know, it's lower. But who knows, really? I've never really gone into property as or, you know, as an investment. So I think I'd need to know a lot more about it doing it for those reasons if it's just for you know having your home then I, I guess that's just a different question and it's you, you want to have a nice home that you can live in but whether it goes up and down in price sh- shouldn't really dictate you know your life on how you feel it's it, it, it shouldn't be that investment in your life that should be other things whether it's investment property or or stock or yeah. bonds whatever it is that you know floats your boat I mean, for me, it's like partly as well. It's like I would like to see it drop just because I think I'd only go buy a house in 2024, but I think there's a decent chance 2025 is the year that I end up buying a house. The same. So, so, funny, funny you say that. Yeah. So a drop would be ideal in 2024. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to maybe we'll have to try and get a fan of the podcast Rob Dix on at some point. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I do say fan of the podcast in the loosest terms, but for anyone who's not aware, Rob Dix, famous property investor, he, uh, tweeted not tweeted he posted on his he did a poll of his followers about the top 10 uk investing podcasts i think we came in at about number six so he posted us on his instagram this is going back probably like a year now but so we we refer to him as a fan of the podcast rob Dix, but he may never have actually <laughs> listened to the episode but i hope so well who knows maybe he listens every week and if, if you are listening rob feel free to reach out and come on for an interview so just before we finish off then, just just another, well, just a few more that I've thought of. So in terms of valuation, what, if anything, in your own portfolio do you think is maybe the, the richest value stock you have? Not necessarily that you think it's overvalued or would sell it, but are there any where you think it might be getting close to fully valued? And if um, I were to, and if I yeah, were to so extend yeah. that to the market in general, are there any stocks that you follow where you think, or? Oh, I'm not I'm not sure about this. Um, okay, good question. So in my portfolio, nothing is that expensive. I think on the UK front, it's the most expensive one is probably is probably right move. And that is currently, I think, about 22 times earnings, which 
for me, is toppy. I don't. I think for the type of company right move is though, and with those ginormous margins it enjoys, I, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. I appreciate there's more competition coming into that market, but I'm quite happy with that. But otherwise, my stocks are not expensive stocks. What about stocks that you don't own? Um, stocks that I don't own. I mean, I like LVMH. I like Nestle. They are all stocks that do trade at quite a premium. I mean, LVMH, being a little bit hypocritical here, because it's, it's trading at similar multiple to right move, which does probably increase the case for buying LVMH stock. And that's about currently about 21, 22 times earnings. And Nestle, let's have a look. So I think that has pulled back a bit recently. Well, no, that's still that's still in the higher 20. So yeah, that is, I think, very pricey. And I, I wouldn't be comfortable paying it. Okay. What about your portfolio and stocks that you follow more closely? So in my portfolio, probably the one that I'm starting to get most uncomfortable with now is Mercado Libre. So okay. it's my longest held stock, I think. It's because I used to churn a lot more in my portfolio, but I've held Mercado Libre since about 2017. So I think I've mm. had it about seven years now. Mm. In that time, it's I think it went up to maybe a seven or an eight X in COVID. And then it got, and then it dropped about maybe 60%. And then it, it's rallied a lot in the past year, but I, I bought in, I don't know the exact price, but I'm going to make, I bought in at 200 and something dollars a share. It's rallied all the way to about, two, it went all the way to about 2000 in COVID dropped to about 800. <laughs> so it wasn't a terrible truck. Cause I was still sat on like a three or four X. <laughs> it, it's now up to about, it's about 1600 now yeah but it, it's just it's always been a very expensive stock and it's actually cheaper than it was in 2020 because it's it's continued to put up fantastic results but i just of the companies I've, it's not really a conviction issue but it's of the companies that i own it's probably the one that i follow the least and it's probably there's some companies i own where i wouldn't have an issue not checking the results for six mm. months or a year and I'd be quite happy to check in on it once a year. And then there's other companies where you, you do need to be checking every three months. And I feel like Mercado Libre is one of them companies where I, I need to be reading every set of results. And I just don't make the time to do it. So I, I'm not entirely sure on whether it's overvalued or not at the minute. Because I've probably not looked at any results since the last time we covered it on the show. And I don't think we've covered it for a while. And I'm just happy to leave it and plug it along. And obviously, I did my work when I originally bought it. But I haven't stayed on top of it and it's just, it's starting to get close to that 2020 valuation. And I'm just thinking like, it's back up to a 6X here. I've trimmed it about the current valuation. I've trimmed it by a third, but I'm just kind of thinking, well, if it goes up much further, when it's a company I'm not following that much, and I've done so well on historically, even if I, you know, if I, I just think I'm probably getting to a point where I just need to get rid of it. So I think of the stocks I own in 2024, that's probably the most likely to move in terms of me getting rid of it. There's maybe a couple of others where I'd get rid of them because I don't like them, but like like maybe Hargreaves Lansdowne, for example, or mm. a Boohoo, but that's probably one that's quite likely to go. Partly valuation, because it is just very, I mean, I, I know I, I know I'm sat here saying I don't know exactly what the value is, but I, I know it's going to be expensive because it's always a very expensive business, even if it's less expensive than it was. And then in terms of stocks that I don't own, Tesla just always continues to baffle me. I, I, yeah. I as a business, you can't fault a lot of the results it puts out. But as a stock, it's it's always priced as if it's it's going to conquer the world. And maybe it will. But I, I just, 
it's one of them stocks where I just look at it and I just think if you actually look at the current valuation, how on earth can you expect to get a market beating return from here? Mm. I, the numbers just don't seem to add up for it. And and another one that we, we cover fairly regularly that I never understand the valuation of, and this is one that suffered a 75% drop and I still don't get the valuation, but probably Ocado. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm just not sure where, you know, great product, really impressive product, but I'm not sure where the business is there. So those are probably the two. And then in terms of what other questions, oh, did you, do you want to do the CGT allowance? Yeah. So, I mean, this is something I think that's probably influenced me a bit. So since I've been investing, obviously it hasn't been huge, huge sums of money, but having a decent or what you consider a fairly decent CGT allowance. Um, so that amount that you're allowed to gain um, without paying any tax. And Sam, remind me, is it was it about 12 and a half grand? It was 12,300. Okay, 12,300. It would allow, you know, for, to, I suppose, chop and change a little bit. And I wouldn't say encourage trading, but you wouldn't think as hard about, oh, will I be paying the tax on this? I'd sometimes crystallize profits and sort of what you might call Ben and Isa, do dif- dif- different things like that. And now it's been cut. Is it two consecutive years in a row? So it was cut on 6 of april 2023 to 6000 pounds and on 6 april 2024 it will drop to 3000 pounds so ma- massive cuts there in in the wrong in the wrong way as, as far as i'd be concerned i think that's probably going to you know impact me a little bit whether it makes me more disciplined though i i think it could almost benefit me in the sense that i think i'd probably be less likely to trade and it might actually work in my favor just by you know dis- dissuade uh, discouraging uh, in that sense to not have to or to delay that paying that tax i think it depends what end of the scale you're at is the impact. So obviously, you know, I mean, th- this is neither of us, but, you know, say you're earning half a million a year, you're yeah. going to max out your ISA pretty quickly. So, so yeah. it, But then then you'd argue as well, that actually, if you're making that much, the CGT allowance doesn't really make a huge it's, difference for you anyway. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, th- I think most people in a position to actually have to pay capital gains tax on stocks and shares, Yeah, I appreciate it's different for property because you're very quickly get to a 12 grand gain yeah. on a property. But for stocks and shares, I think if you're in a position where you're having to pay tax anyway, you, you're probably already that you're you're already doing quite well. So I, I don't know how much of a difference it actually, there's very few people where then they're able to, you know, use most of their ISA and then just have a little bit outside. Mm, it, that, that's yeah. probably a bit of a, and obviously, you know, as you, you get further in your career, you'd hope that you know, it becomes less and less important. But there's, there's probably very few people that actually are affected by the 12 grand significantly. Because if you're outside of the ISA, most people are probably outside of it by quite a lot. But I, th- I think the main, I think it does depend on the asset though. Because if for me, all my stocks are inside ISAs. However, yeah. or they're, well, they're either in ISAs or pension. Yeah. However, and obviously you, you obviously haven't, you have an NHS pension, which obviously <laughs> works slightly differently to mine. Whereas if, yeah. if I were to max out my ISA, I can put the difference in a pension and index, yeah. it, whereas you don't have that option. So we are in slightly different positions. But where it makes a difference for me is you cannot buy Bitcoin in an ISA. And well, if I can crystallize 12 grand of gains a year compared to three, the reality is based on my Bitcoin at the minute, that's going to bring me into tax. Yeah. And we, we say that you're not able to do that at the moment, but they are looking at, 
certainly in the States, Bitcoin ETFs. And then you wonder how, if that does happen, how far is the UK behind it? And if you do get... Yeah. Would you want an ETF though, or would I'm, you rather own the Bitcoin? Well, I, I know. Well, I, I do already own the Bitcoin, and I wouldn't be looking to switch to an ETF. However, you know that is a, a topic that's being actively debated at the moment, and one of the reasons why there's been a bit of a rally. So, for me, if there was a UK investable ETF that I could get inside a pension or an ISA for Bitcoin it wouldn't change my position because I'd rather okay. risk paying the capital gains tax but actually own the Bitcoin rather than if some moron at an ETF yeah. loses the keys, which yeah. probably they they probably have protocols to prevent that. But if someone's, you know, if an ex-employee yeah. steals it, which is more likely, I've then lost all my Bitcoin and there's nothing I can do. Whereas at least if I lose my Bitcoin now, it's entirely my own fault. So for me, it wouldn't change my behavior. But yeah, dropping from 12 to 3, it brings you into self-assessment pretty quickly, especially if, you know if, if like us, you're only in, you're indexing a small amount weekly or monthly. Yeah, you, you can you've not got huge amounts, so you can manage it to be the twelve grand, and you yeah. can do quite well over a few years on it without paying any tax. Whereas at three, it's pretty hard to manage that because you soon that's, that's right. You, you don't have to index. You don't have to average very much before you get to three grand. Because I think that was that that was the thing, and that was what was quite nice as a like a small you know small retail investor is you could have your ISA. And then you had this £12,300 allowance every year. So you could be crystallizing profits and you could be sort of bed and icering and doing that. And it was it was quite nice that you could, you know, crystallize your profits. And because they were in the allowance every year, and of course, as your portfolio got bigger, that was never going to remain the case. But I think for a lot of people it would, whereas now, even if you're, you know, you're kind of your average retail investor, you are getting to that position much more quickly. And there's... I guess less you can do about it. Well, I've got, or I've already got one planning tool, which is that I've been, as I mentioned earlier, averaging into Dogecoin. So I'll actually <laughs> essentially have the losses to offset. Okay. So from a tax point of view, okay. I'll be in a better position. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's 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 interesting. But again, in terms of changing behavior, I think for me, it would just mean that I'd hold those positions for longer, and you potentially see. Would you, know, you do it with Bitcoin though? Because it goes up so much so fast. Yeah. You, you know, if, if I mean, Bitcoin went to 100 grand, would you sell? <laughs> Good question. Probably not. Okay. So it probably, probably doesn't not. make... See, for I me, think, I'd, I'd probably yeah. consider it. Yeah. I think it made... It was nice that you could bed an ISIS, you know, smaller things. But maybe that did encourage a little bit, a little bit more in terms of trading. Whereas I think for... Bitcoin for me is not a huge part of the portfolio, but it is, you know, it is, it has grown a lot over the last year. And I think for Bitcoin, as, as you sort of said uh, yourself in your own journey, with Bitcoin, I think there is that conviction there that I would just hold the Bitcoin, whatever happened. I think for me, once it starts getting into six figures, I'd probably seriously consider selling. Now, I, I think I'd, I do like Bitcoin and have the conviction. And I think I'd always want to hold it as an asset. And I know it might be slightly illogical, but what I might think is actually, if it got to six figures, it would be quite a sizable chunk of my portfolio. 
yeah yeah yeah, yeah probably yeah. you know it's it's basically a you know it's it's a house deposit sorted yeah i'd probably sell it and just start averaging back in and then if you know if you That's get sort of a few years where you have a lull you've got you build up a decent position again because you've averaged back in you might never get to the amount of bitcoin you already had but you've also cashed out some very very substantial gains and you know i know it's never free money but you can almost view the averaging back in as like your free bitcoin anyway and then it, you know however it does you're not too bothered but but for me it, it's just you know once it gets to the point where i'm sat there thinking like that is a very very nice house deposit yeah i'd probably i don't know if i'd be able to justify not selling because i don't i wouldn't want to be in a position in you know a couple of years time where i need the house deposit and i potentially have to start raiding my stocks and i know I'd, I'd hope to be in a position where i've got it in cash anyway but I don't know, like, you know, I'd, I'd like the option. Maybe I'd be there, like, well, actually, if I sold the Bitcoin, you know, over 100K, could I then just put the cash that I've got to one side and just dump it into stocks or something? But I, I think for me, once it gets into six figures, I'd seriously consider it's, selling it's it. interesting. Um, okay. I don't know if okay. I would or if I'd sell all of it, but I'd definitely have a think. And is that in US or uh, in Sterling? Well, I don't know, because I'm quite, you know, I get... <laughs> psychologically it's hard because do you think well actually i'm waiting for a hundred thousand sterling now and then you get yeah. hundred thousand sterling you're like well actually i want it to go up another 20 percent because i don't want to pay the tax yeah <laughs> so i want it to get i want to get what i would have got at hundred thousand sterling if i didn't have the tax to pay so maybe yeah. and then by then maybe it's peaked and you've gone back down and you never bother but and i suppose <laughs> on on the topic of tax and, and this is just you know pure conjecture but we've probably got an election coming up in what well, this year latest it can be is January 2025. Do you think that's impacting on in you know retail investors? I think it is. Yes. So obviously I'm not going to go into any specifics, but obviously my day job is tax advisory. I've dealt with a number of clients this year where they're wanting to do inheritance tax planning or whatever else. And their primary concern is they think a Labour government's coming in. And they want to start doing stuff now in advance of any rule changes. And there's a, and obviously they might, you know, they might start doing the planning and actually we get a conservative win anyway, and it doesn't mm. matter. But a, a lot of what I'm seeing at work on a very general level is a lot of people planning for a Labour government now. So I, I think I think that investor psychology is there, particularly probably once you get to about 60 plus. Yeah. I'm seeing quite a lot of it. So I think it is making a difference. How it affects the stock market, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because a lot of what I'm seeing, it's stuff like inheritance tax planning and, you know, moving assets down and stuff. You know, it's you've I've not come across a 30-year-old with a decent stock portfolio that's worried <laughs> okay. about it. Right, you know, right. And they might be worried about it, but it's it's more... Oh, no, yeah. not, not, we're not a political show. No, no, um, no, no. So worry might be the wrong word, but there obviously there are... I think it's fair to say that... that conservative governments tend to have lower tax rates than Labour governments. And I think people are bracing themselves for that if a potential Labour government comes in. I don't know if I've maybe seen less of it, though, because if you're a 30-year-old with a decent stock portfolio, you might just take the view, well, what can I do? You know, yeah, and you know, I, your, kids, I think, your kids might be five. You can't start moving yeah, stuff down it, to them it, now. Exactly. I think if you're 30, you're in a, it's a straightforward position because it's like, you well, unless, unless you had some sort of well tax, you can you're you're going to see the next five years out. And even if you had three terms and it was three terms of a, a government, whether it's Labour or Conservative, that you know hikes a lot of taxes. If you're not selling and if you're just buying, well, you, you could and you're 30. Well, you could be 45 at the end of it and have a lot of gains but never have actually crystallized them 
Mm. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if, yeah, if I'd known how the I don't know. I'm, I'm sure we will see some kind of run up to the election change in the stock market. But it just depends on the polls and stuff like that. But I'd be surprised if it doesn't have any impact. But you could tell me exactly how the election is going to turn out. Yeah. And if I predicted the stock market, I'd probably get it wrong. Just like and, if you told yeah. me how the, prof- how the interest rates and inflation would change a year ago, I'd have predicted the property market wrong. Well, absolutely. And yeah, it, it's um, you could say that the market, based on the polling, has already priced in a Labour victory. So yeah. And what's it doing now? Well, it's, it, it seems to be rallying a bit. But um, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. And you had all of these things recent, well, relatively recently, you know, whether it was Brexit in the UK, what was going to happen? Oh, it would be down, you know, people, different economists would make different predictions, how much it was going to fall if, you know, you did get Brexit, and then you had that huge rally. Appreciate that was maybe partly on the back of the devaluation of the pound, but you did have that rally. And, you know, going back again, 2016, there was the whole sort of Donald Trump, well, you know, what would the market do if he got in? And then again, actually, when he came in, controversial, though he may have been, it didn't seem to impact, you know, the, the stock market itself. But then I think if you look at it, and obviously we, we I've, you know, do stress, we're not a political show, so we're not passing opinions about whether a Labour or a Conservative government is any better. No. But I think it's a fair comment that if a Labour government comes in, they're more likely to increase taxes than a Conservative government, just because that's what they've done historically. And where that tax, where those taxes are going to go and what they're going to be used for and whether that's better or worse, that's not really no, 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 interested no, in for this podcast. But I think if you look at some of the things that maybe you could see Labour doing or they've maybe been rumoured to be doing, it's like, what impact would it have? I mean, I, I don't see them slashing the ISA limit. I'd be very yeah. surprised if they got rid of that. And as well, it's been, you know, it's been held the same for like 15, and, 20 years. So, you and, know, and it was a Labour, uh, Labour government that introduced the ISA. So, you know, it's, inflation's already sort of whittled away at it. Inheritance tax, I mean, at my age, it doesn't make a huge difference. Yeah. I appreciate some listeners might be in different positions. But even then, if you're 50 and you think they're going to up inheritance tax, you know, do you get rid of all your assets now if you might live another 30 or 40 years? It, it is a tough one. At, at 30, you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then what else could they do? They could increase the CGT rates to bring them in line with income. And that's yeah. something that's always been talked about. So, you know, if you're a higher rate taxpayer, do they bring the CGT rate up to 40%? That, mm. that would make a difference for me because, you know, it goes back to the argument we've said about the Bitcoin and the allowance getting slashed, but yeah, you know, do do I dump my Bitcoin now or do I dump it the day before the election in anticipation? I mean, hopefully yeah. I have some warning by the manifesto, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But so so maybe I maybe I would in that case, but it's really hard to actually start planning your portfolio, and as well, you you can't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. Right, absolutely, um, and I think that is it's very easy to get into that, but no, I couldn't agree with you more on that. So I don't think I've given a very clear answer, but I think whatever it is, you've just got to ride it out and just make the best investment decisions based on the current circumstances. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I wouldn't start moving assets around. It's like, I mean, a lot, fortunately, you know, we are in a position where because of our age, most of the changes probably wouldn't be huge. In, like, for example, like one thing that could happen is like in the last budget, in, in my industry, it was very surprising to see the lifetime allowance just completely abolished rather than, you know, say be increased for pensions. Yeah, uh, Labour might come in and just reintroduce the lifetime allowance again. But again, like, you know, it, it was at one, about 1.1 million quid. I'm just nowhere, my pension's nowhere near that. So I just don't need to, you know, even if they bring in the annual, you know, even if they bring back the lifetime allowance, it wouldn't really change anything for me at all. But obviously, if we've got listeners that are 30, 40 years older than us, then it, it does make more of a difference. But 
Yeah. You know, you, you can't really predict it. So there's not, I, yeah. my view is there's not a huge amount. There's not really any point trying. You've just got to react yeah. to what you're given. Yeah. And make the sensible investment decisions for invest, you know, with a view to growing your wealth rather than just planning for, you know, what a hypothetical tax regime might be. Right. I think that's everything in that case. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.